Worldwide Vancouver. Free game, post game, every game presented by Bodog from Sports Odds to free casino games. Make a play at Bodog.net. Wadden and J-Pad here with you. Draft week, day two. And can you can sense some excitement in my voice right now, J-Pat? Because I can, yes. I'm a little fired up about this right now. Like we're, we're, you know, we have slogged through a couple of months here. We went through all the playoffs where, you know, the Vancouver Canucks weren't playing. And we were with you guys the entire way. But now this is the week where we get to unpack a whole bunch of news. And hopefully it will start today because there is some movement going on around the NHL. Canucks haven't done anything just yet but we did hear from Patrick Alvine today and we'll hear from the Canucks uh, general manager we'll also unpack the NHL awards yeah a lot to get through there but it's so cringy it is the absolute cringe fest and then of course we'll just dive into a few uh free agent targets for the Canucks but let's start with Patrick Alvine right now who held court uh with the media ahead of the draft tomorrow um, we'll hear from the Canucks GM, but before we hear some clips from him, just did anything sort of jump off the page uh, right away from you for you from the Canucks GM? Yeah, I mean the declaration that that sounds like they're going to hold on to that 11th pick. Uh, it was last week when he had his first media availability in a while, and he said, "Hey, I'm looking at you know moving up, perhaps." Uh, that doesn't sound like it's going to happen. So I don't know if kicking the tires uh, proved that the prices were prohibitive. Whatever the case, certainly sounds now like the Vancouver Canucks will, you know, hold on to the pick, walk to the podium, and uh, announce to the world who uh, they'll add to their stable uh, with the eleventh selection in the draft tomorrow. Yeah, here is the Canucks general manager in his own voice talking about how he intends to use that 11th overall pick. Uh, we're going to pick 11 here. Uh, not much uh, discussions of moving up at this point. So uh, we're excited about the 11th. Uh, we, uh, the scouts are doing uh, the last uh, final uh, tuning here on the list. But uh, I think there is a couple, of, a handful of players that they're excited about to uh, potentially get to get to the 11. Now, of course, he can say this and things could change. Oh, of course. Right? Yeah. And it could be a smokescreen. Yeah. We'll see. But right now, the intention is to pick at 11. We asked a poll today asking the people, you know, what should uh, Patrick Alvin prioritize with the pick? Best player available, a center or a defenseman. 70.5% of people are saying best player available. J-Pat, I find that very surprising because I can hear the bitching already if they go with a wing, another winger. Yeah, but again, like every draft is different and you just don't know uh, who's going to slide and who's going to fall and, and ultimately who will be available there. So, you know, this is a day out. You're asking people. I think people are conditioned to go with that best player available. Uh, but I thought it was interesting and again, these are just words the day before a draft, so nobody's holding Patrick Alvine to this. But uh, the question was asked about the defense core that's available, this group of David Reinbacher and Axel Sandine Pelika. Uh, we know the Canucks have been linked to Tom Willander and Dmitry Simashev in the last little while as well. I think they're meeting with him while they're in Nashville. Uh, it, it certainly sounded from the general manager, like if all things are equal, that they'll use that 11th pick on a defenseman. Well, Patrick Calvin said that. He's leaning towards a D at 11. Well, I think our, our scouting staff did a really good job last year identifying uh, McWard, Hirose, uh, Philip Johansson. Um, but again, uh, if there is a, a defenseman available uh, at 11 uh, that our guys think is, is the best player available, uh, we definitely uh, will pick that guy. Yeah, and it kind of seems like it's going to be there if they, if it is available for him for some of the names that 
uh, we already threw out there. Interesting that he name-checked those three players, though, and clearly the Canucks are high on those three youngsters uh, that they got already in the system. Yeah, but he didn't name Noah Juleson this week. He did last week, and here we are. Like The clock is ticking to the weekend now, and Juleson, uh, pending unrestricted free agent Kyle Burrows, again, uh, seems to be really quiet around Kyle Burrows. And uh, Ethan Bear, he was asked about Ethan Bear. Not much of an update there. Uh, He's clinging to this notion that it's too early. Uh, It's getting late early, uh, in my mind, when you're dealing with qualifying offers and guys that could potentially uh, walk away. Now, we know the Bear situation is complicated by the surgery, but I just kind of laughed at the way that he skated around that question today. Yeah, too early right now. I mean, they're going to have to start to make some tough decisions moving forward here. I know Dollywall has been talking about it, and he doesn't think that the Canucks are going to qualify Bear. It probably makes sense not to, but of course, there is the risk of him you know, going into the free market, right? So uh, I know a lot of people will probably be hesitant because of the injury, but again, there's also the risk. There's also the risk, risk of sort of ruining the relationship with the player. Yeah, I suppose. I suppose so. Uh, and this is a player that, you know, they chased for a while. They gave up an asset to get. They included him in the letter to season ticket holders. You know, I, I don't think that you just turn around and, and walk away entirely, but the surgery does complicate matters. And so I think the Canucks are trying to squeeze Bear in his camp. That seems to be uh, the story that's out there. And we'll see if Ethan Bear understands that really he's only going to play half a season for the Vancouver Canucks. Best case scenario. And you know, if he gets fully healthy, can get back and and prove himself over the final half season, then go back at it next year and look for a bigger, better contract. Uh, You know, so if he wants to be here, if he wants to, you know, just have a baby, starting a family, trying to put down some roots, played his junior hockey in Seattle. He's a uh, Pacific Northwest guy, has talked repeatedly about how much he loves it here and feels comfortable and feels like he found a home. So, uh, you know, flat cap world, I think he and his agent have to understand the economics as well, where they'd like a little bit of security, but I'm just not sure that uh, it's there for him. So he'll have a decision to make if the Canucks do go sort of that low ball route. What's interesting to me is that just looking back at last year, opening night in Edmonton, when we look at the defense core and the turnover on the Vancouver Canucks, it's possible. And in fact, it's quite likely that Quinn Hughes will be the only guy that was in the lineup on defense for the Vancouver Canucks last season that will be in the opening night lineup next year. Their defense core in Edmonton on October 12th last year, Luke Shen, Tucker Pullman, OEL, Kyle Burrows, Quinn Hughes, obviously, and Riley Stillman. No, Myers, who was injured at the time, was he not? Myers was injured, and uh, Jack Rathbone was a healthy scratch that night. So... Uh, yeah, Tyler Myers still here, but the opening night lineup from last year, Quinn Hughes will be the only true holdover uh, year over year in that regard. So, uh, you know, I mean, roster churn's not easy, and that would represent roster churn if you just have one guy, and then, I mean, yeah, if Myers is healthy and he's still here after uh, the signing bonus, he's likely to be in the opening night lineup as well. But still, uh, you are looking at a much different defense core. The question is, uh, how, you know, different? Fine. Yes, I think we all agree on different. Better? With Philip Rodick, you certainly hope so, but uh, still many, many holes to fill uh, on the blue line. One hole to fill was that fifth place vote that Connor McDavid got for the Hart Trophy, J. Pat. He misses out on a unanimous vote by one vote, and we saw the voting today uh, when it came from the uh, PHWA. It was from a Pittsburgh writer, Seth Rorabaugh, but I get the feeling from looking at his ballot that I think he might have mixed up 
the one through five with five through one. Maybe I'm giving him too much credit here. I don't know. Yeah, you can imagine his Twitter timeline and his uh, messages today. He had a really weird ballot. And I don't know if he had a tough night when he was filling it out or if he was trying to be contrarian. Uh, We haven't heard from him. But like way beyond McDavid and a fifth place vote for the heart, he had Jordan Stahl ahead of Patrice Bergeron for the Selkie. And he didn't have Eric Carlson on his Norris ballot. Like, any one of those is questionable. All three combined does make you wonder a little bit. And so, you know, I, I don't know, Seth. I, I think I've interacted with him on on Twitter at times. The guy's been around for a while. I think he knows his hockey. So I don't know what the motives were here. But unfortunately, it does sort of bring the whole voting process into question because, you know, I think a lot of people looked and they saw JT Miller getting a, you know, a, a Selkie vote. Uh, JT Miller. This is the guy that didn't back check in the first half of the season and didn't do an awful lot defensively. He's getting a Selkie vote. Well, Sylvain Saint Laurent of Le Dois in Montreal was the guy that gave JT Miller a Selkie vote. Why? Like, you know, again, are we going to ever get an explanation? Probably not, but very curious decision there. You know, we found out that Pat Hickey, longtime hockey writer with the Montreal Gazette, now working for the Hockey News in Montreal, he was the guy that tabbed Quinn Hughes as the best defenseman in the National Hockey League. So, uh, you know, that caught my eye when the voting came out last night that he was, Quinn Hughes got a first-place ballot. Uh, that was from Pat Hickey in Montreal. So, you know, it is it is curious. Uh, it's a flawed process. There were nine members of the Professional Hockey Writers Association Vancouver chapter that had votes, so not everybody in the chapter was given the opportunity to vote. And I do wonder if the PWHA could tighten up the qualifications, the... I, I'm not sure. I, I don't know what goes into... I'm not a member. I've said this before, so just up front. I'm, I'm not a member, and so I didn't have a vote, obviously. But I do wonder about the criteria, the selection of who gets... You know, I mean, look, if the league's going to give the professional hockey writers the power to vote for the year-end award winners, like, you want it to be a legitimate process. You don't want guys going rogue... You know, every year there's going to be a couple of curious decisions, but I don't know. I mean, yeah, the the Seth Rorbaugh ballot, to me, it it calls into question everybody's vote at that point because uh, it just doesn't feel like you are accurately representing the players that were deemed to ultimately be the best, you know, in any of those categories if you're going completely off the wall with your selections. Too many voters, you think? Do you think they should maybe scale it down? Yeah, I think possibly that's a way to go. You know, nine in Vancouver, but it's not uniform across the board. I mean, some of the bigger markets have a few more. And obviously, like Arizona and Anaheim's chapters of the Professional Hockey Writers Association are you know remarkably small. Uh, there just aren't enough people covering the game in some of those places. So, you know, you get a little bit of an imbalance there. Whatever the case, I, I, you know, I, I hope that uh, the powers that be at the PWHA you know, revisit. I think they take it very, like I know, you know, Frank Saravelli and others, they take this responsibility really seriously. Oh, yeah. And so I hope that they revisit and refine and look at, and I'm not saying that Seth Robert should lose his voting privileges, but I do wonder if there are other ways that they could go about it. You know, maybe a, a small group at the Professional Hockey Writers Association, you know, narrows the field down to five or six or seven. And from there, you know, you pick your final three so that people aren't going completely off the board, whatever. I mean, you know, the the voting process is part of it. As you said, the show itself, 
two hours, uh, nothing but cringe. Ooh. They try so oh hard, my. and yet it's the same crappy hockey jokes about uh, Canadians being apologetic and missing teeth. And, you know, it's just like, really? Like, I know they tried to inter- introduce a little music last night because it's Music City, and that's fine. But, yeah, just... Uh, the kid that was interviewing the heart trophy. Oh my goodness. That just like, is that over? It feels like it was going to go for days. Did you see the drinking from the cup skit that they did? Oh my. Yeah. And the timing of that too. When I saw the NHL getting taken a beating on like Jim Montgomery gets up there, pours out his heart about uh, recovery and uh, his battle back from alcoholism. And then the next thing they're giving out free beer in the stands and Dirk Bentley's drinking beer out of the cup. It just like, the timing was off there, obviously, and I, you know, I, maybe I'm linking the. I, I'm not the only one because I saw it on Twitter. A lot of people were like tone deaf NHL, like you know, the time. And I don't know if the league knew that Jim Montgomery was going to sort of pour out his heart about his uh, battle back from from alcoholism, but still, it, yeah, then not a great look for them on on a couple of fronts there. But yeah, the uh, Canucks got represented. Fairly well in this, and then we can go into the voting now. Patterson finished seventh in the voting for the Selkie, eighth in the Lady Bing, and eighteenth in Hart Trophy balloting. I think the one really that stands out the most is that Selkie Trophy, uh, seventh place, because of the fact that uh, we've talked about it before. You kind of have to sort of earn your reputation to be able to win that award. And if he's in seventh with a couple of guys that are now, you know, like Patrice Bergeron's not going to be up for the award, we don't think many um, more years. If he might come back for one more, we'll see. But you know, the fact that Pedersen was there at seventh means hey, the league is starting to recognize this guy's two-way game. Yeah, absolutely. That was my takeaway there. Uh, you know, it's Bergeron. It is Andre Kopitar. Michael Backlund finished ahead of them. They're not done. Bergeron might be, but but in the twilights of their career, certainly. And so, yeah, if you're top seven and a couple of the other guys are going to be stepping aside here before too long, you know, if Elias Pettersson can continue to trend in the right direction, and there's every reason to believe he will, then, yeah, you would think that he's now uh, on the radar of the voting class. And we'll see how that plays out for him. Lady Bing, he finished eighth. Uh, again, I pointed out, uh, I think on yesterday's pod, you know, in the top 10 scores in the NHL, he had the fewest penalty minutes. So, um you know, the other guys that ended up uh, ahead of him uh, and the finalists were behind him in scoring, but uh, fewer penalty minutes. So we'll see what next season brings for Elias Pettersson. And 18th for Hart. You know, Patrick Alvin last week called him a top 10 to 15 player, so fell just outside of that category. But boy, keeping pretty good company. He was tied with Sidney Crosby. Uh, and, uh, you know, I thought, like, Sid had 93 points this year. I kind of thought on reputation that he might actually find his way a little higher, you know, get a couple of votes. I'm not, didn't expect him to be a a finalist and he wasn't, but I just thought based on his track record over so many years that uh, he might be a little bit higher there coming off the the season that, uh, you know, proved that he still got it. So yeah, for Elias Pedersen, good night there. Factors in three categories. We talked about Quinn Hughes. Ninth is uh, worthy of discussion. Too high for me. Yeah, it's too high for me. I thought he should be top five for sure. Yeah, I actually thought he would have, should have been fourth. I figured that in my mind, I kind of thought like you that I think I could build a strong case for uh, top five, but I kind of figured just because there's so many other good defensemen out there that he would finish seventh. Ninth to me felt a little bit low for the season that he had, tied for second in points, uh, fourth in overall ice time uh, on a bad team. You know, positive plus 20 goal differential playing in front of American Hockey League goaltending for much of the season. 
And, you know, again, he's plus 20 with the even strength goal differential and OEL was minus 22. Like, you know, it showed the difference when Quinn Hughes was on the ice compared uh, to so many of his teammates. So, yeah, I, I as good as he's been for the Canucks and will be for, for, for the foreseeable future, he's going to have a battle on his hands to just get that love. I still think it feels to me like he's going to have a really tough time shaking that all-Canadian division season when he was minus 24 or whatever he is, and people right then decided that this guy can't defend. But, you know, there's more information available than ever before. I want to believe that the voters are trending younger and looking at the underlying stats. I, I think they owed it to Quinn Hughes to have him a little bit higher. But, again, you know, is he going to, you know, does he have a better season than Rasmus Dahlin? People in Buffalo would say Rasmus Dahlin probably deserved to be higher you know, there are others in that mix as well. I mean, we talk about the names all the time. Miro Heiskanen and, you know, Owen Power at some point probably works his way up into the conversation as well. Look, I want to be right up front here. And, and Kale McCarr is probably the best defenseman in the National Hockey League. Eric Carlson had a season for the ages. He was the rightful winner. We did pretty well, actually. I think on yesterday's show, we pretty much picked them. I don't think anyone caught us off guard there. Kale McCarr is the best defenseman in the NHL, but he only played 60 games. Like, And so for him to have been one of the finalists this past season, I'm not sure. Like, it's an 82-game season. He played three quarters of the games. Like, some years, there are other guys, I think, that are going to be a little more deserving there. And Kale McCarr is going to get his over the course of his career, and obviously he already has a Norris, but I'm not sure. And so it kind of felt like people looked at Carlson's numbers, and they're like, oh, yeah, you can't ignore 101 points from a defenseman. After that, well, oh, there's Kale McCarr. He's really good. I'm going to put him on my ballot. And like, he was a point-a-game guy in the 60 games he played. But like, part of, I think, being up and singled out for league-wide recognition is availability and being there night in, night out. And injuries happen, and they're not the fault of the player. But like, I really wonder if 60 was a magic number. Like, If he had had 59 games played... Would some people have looked at that? Oh, he didn't even get to the 60-game threshold. You know, again, I don't think that there are rules that are set out here, but should there be, perhaps? Like, should there be a threshold of number of games that you have to play? Like, how few is too few to earn legitimate consideration? So this is not a knock on Kale McCarr as a player, but I don't know that his year, his body of work this season was worthy of being one of the three best defensemen in the National Hockey League. Yeah, I think if I think you're probably right. The 60-game mark probably is the cutoff. But I also do agree with you. Like, it was, wasn't as big of a, a sample size as others, but it is Kale McCarr after all. And I think if you were to play 82 games, maybe this might be even more of a discussion uh, than what it was. You talked about the Dash 24 that Quinn Hughes had that year in the Canadian division. Well, what about the Dash 26 that Eric Carlson had this year? Yeah, but people couldn't overlay. I mean, Quinn Hughes didn't have 101 points. Nobody did because they only played 56 games. But the the point totals for Carlson this year, uh, people couldn't look past that. But it just, it does. This is the reason why it needs to be split. Fair enough. It's 100%. But but I just, I don't know what Quinn Hughes is going to have to do to over. Like, I think this is a really interesting discussion. Like, Quinn Hughes was incredible for the Canucks, and he's only getting better. He's 23. He won't be 24 until the fall. The Canucks are damn lucky to have him. Canuck fans get to watch this guy on a nightly basis, but he might go through his career in this era as 
the fourth, fifth, sixth best defenseman in the National Hockey League and never be a Norris final. I hope that's not the case. Like I, again, I don't have a vote, so it's out of my hands, but I just, I don't know what he would have to do to rise above. Goal total is probably part of it. And we've spent lots of nights talking post-game about, you know, could he even get it to double digits and... Uh, maybe that would sway some people. Again, it's a defenseman award, but I do think people look at his point total and the single digits in the goal column uh, jumps out. So I don't know. I mean, it's going to be fascinating to watch through his career because there's no question, you know, ninth place in the Norris. He's one of the ten top 10 defensemen in the NHL. But will he ever, even in one season, will his peak season be enough to get him, you know, into the finalists, let alone being the Norris Trophy winner. Let me ask you this about uh, Eric Carlson, because I did have this argument before with our buddy the Stanchion. Generational player. Now, this is an old argument. Me and the Stanchion had this on TSN Radio back in the day. But he was saying, and it's why it aren't, by the way, if you don't know, uh, that he thinks that Eric Carlson is a generational defenseman. I went and dug into his stats a little bit just last night even, just sort of looking at him. He's at 0.83 points per game in his career last year was a complete outlier for him almost 20 points higher than he's ever had in a season as 82 and 82 was his best back in the 15 16 season where are you at with eric carlson as a generational player i hate the discussion i just i hate i I hate it who cares what like what is it if i say he is great if i say he's not who cares like i just everybody defines it differently there's no right or wrong answer like i just i Sorry, I, I, just, I don't give a damn. The guy's won three Norris trophies. That's pretty good. Had a hell of a career. All right, well, Quinn Hughes is at 0.85 points per game right now, just 223 games. And so he's on a better pace than Eric Carlson is right now in terms of points per game. So we'll see exactly uh, where that turns out for, Eric, for Quinn Hughes. But I think you're right. Like when you've got Kale McCarr sort of to battle for the next X many years, it's going to be tough for Quinn Hughes to be able to win that award. And also, too, with the way defensemen are being developed these days, who's to say there's not another, you know, Kale McCarr slash Quinn Hughes, yep, you know, absolutely. coming in, in the coming years here. No, and I think that's a, that's a good point that I think the way that these guys have revolutionized the position, guys that maybe young kids that, you know, thought they wanted to be high scorers, now maybe it's cool to be a defenseman that roams all over the ice. And you're right, it'll be interesting to, you know, five, ten years out to see if uh, we see a bunch more Kale McCars and, and Quinn Hughes is coming along. And, of course, Luke Hughes, we should mention. Like, we talked about Owen Power. You know, Simon Nemec went second overall. Juracek uh, in Columbus, uh, you know, uh, we expect David Reinbacker to go in the top 10 this year. You know, obviously the system will continue to develop really good defensemen. And so it's not just those guys that are above Quinn Hughes right now. You know, he's got to kind of look over his shoulder as well. So uh, it's great for the game that there's this many talented young defen- defenders. But again, I just think it's going to muddy the the waters for Quinn Hughes trying to work his way into true, legitimate Norris Trophy discussion. Brock Besser got three first place votes for the Masterton as well, yeah. uh, which came out today uh, with Frank Cervelli uh, releasing the list of voters. Yeah, now two of those were from the Vancouver chapter. And I think with the Masterton, there's a fair bit of home cooking there. It's like, you know, the guy that I cover, I know him, I understand his hardships. Uh, again, that was probably the highlight of the award show, though, last night was... You know, Chris Letang getting up there with the emotional speech. Um, I love the way that those guys, that was one thing they did do right on the award show. The introduction of each of the Masterton finalists, you know, they had a personal connection. Alex Stalock's doctor was out there. Uh, Letang, was it uh, Pierre Olivier Joseph? 
And I thought that was cool. And then Jim Montgomery with the emotional speech as well. And the trophy presented by Barry Trotz, coach to coach. And so, I mean, there were some moments. I don't want to dump entirely, but just it was too long and too clunky overall. But yeah, I, 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 I've said this before about the Masterton. I just think it should be left at the league level to compare what Chris Letang went through with, you know, the stroke and the loss of his dad to Alex Stalock, long haul COVID. Yeah, like, I mean, it's just... Uh, all these guys, a lot of them play through a lot of things that we just don't know about. Even the guys that cover the team don't know the struggles that a lot of these players have. And so, I, I don't know, there's just something a little icky for me in trying to compare one guy's hardships to another. But uh, Chris Letang certainly has, uh, you know, been at this for a long time to persevere and come back from strokes and, and still be a, a top performer and all that kind of stuff. Uh, a very deserving winner uh, of the Bill Masterton Award. Going back to that, to drinking out of the cup, would you ever do that if you're at a party and the cup was there? Would you drink out of it? Isn't that something that has to be earned? Uh, well, for players, they want you to, the, you know, the whole don't touch the cup thing uh, until you've won it. I'm not going to get a chance to win the Stanley Cup as a player. I believe my, <laughs> I think that window has closed. So I don't if know, I'm at a party and know, the Stanley Cup summer, is there summer. and I have a chance to drink out of it, yeah, probably. Now, uh, hygiene being another thing. Maybe I'd get a straw and just... Uh... <laughs> yeah, but probably be good. <laughs> Considering that we just went through a global pandemic. Exactly. Like, maybe yeah. we should avoid this sort of thing. <laughs> the BC Lions are back in the playoffs and hosting the Calgary Stampeders on Saturday, November 4th at BC Place. Kickoff at 3.30 p.m. Looking forward to this one. Playoff football, BC Place. The Lions and that offense with Vernon Adams at the controls and all of those weapons he has in his receiving core. And you just think about the atmosphere in that building with the fans behind them. The Dome will be rocking. Should be a ton of fun. Tickets on sale now at bclions.com. And check this out. They start at just 30 bucks, and kids 17 and under can get in for 15 So bring the noise. Fill the Dome. Applewood Auto Group is celebrating 25 years of business, making the car business and our communities better. Applewood offers the best in-class experience whether you're looking for a car, service, or to join our team. Come find out why it's all good at Applewood. Visit us online at applewood.ca today. I mentioned our poll question earlier, and our poll questions are presented by our buddy Jason Hominick at Jason.Mortgage. Yeah, so many questions about the housing market right now, and if uh, you've got some of those questions, whether you're up for a renewal or you're trying to get your foot in the door, literally, uh, in the housing market as a first-time buyer, uh, you need some help. You, you do. They're just It's too complex an issue. It's the biggest investment most people are going to make in their lives. Uh, get some professional help on your side, and that's where Jason Hominick comes in. We tell you on almost every episode here, uh, he's been representing rink-wide clients and customers, listeners, uh, for a while now, saving them money, and he wants to save you money as well. So again, I say this, don't do it alone. Get experience on your side. And Jason Hominick has experience. You can find him on his website, jason.mortgage. And he is sitting there. I don't know if he's sitting there right this minute waiting for your phone call, but uh, he's reachable. He is available night and day. Ring him up and he's happy to answer your questions, see where the conversation leads. But again, uh, don't go at this alone. Get professional help on your side. Speaking of investments, should the Canucks make an investment in defenseman Ian Cole in free agency? 34-year-old left-hand shot D was $3 million cap hit last year. 
with the Tampa Bay Lightning. Yeah, a bit of a lightning rod here because if you remember at the start of last season, he was suspended by the Tampa Lightning uh, after allegations of sexual abuse awry, uh, arose online. And the NHL dug in pretty quickly, conducted one of those NHL investigations, and within days had determined that this was nothing more than a burner account and uh, he was cleared of any wrongdoing. But the allegations you know, are going to stay with him. Now, he played most of the games last year, as he has. He's only missed 13 games in the last three seasons. This guy's been durable, even at 34. He's bigger than I thought. At least he's listed bigger than I thought. He's 6'1", 225 pounds. He's a left shot, and his specialty is penalty killing. So I think like they don't need a power play guy with Quinn Hughes and Philip Peronik behind him. They need somebody that can kill penalties. You know, 34, I mean, they've already been talking about uh, bringing Luke Shen back. Uh, you know, so the idea of them bringing in a veteran, uh, I think there are a couple of things, and Rick Dollywell reported this yesterday, that the Canucks are expected to have interest, and that's as far as the report goes right now. Ian Cole, a two-time Stanley Cup champ, where? In Pittsburgh. Well, Jim Rutherford was running the show, Patrick Galvin, Derek Clancy, and Rick Tockett was on the bench there. So, like, you know, really strong connections to this Canucks front office and coaching staff. And, you know, is it a sexy name? No. But could it be affordable? Uh, you know, this could be the last contract for Ian Cole. I was see Ian Clark. They already got Ian Clark. He's their goalie coach. But, uh, you know, he's 34. He's signed one-year contracts the last two years in Carolina and in Tampa Bay. So, you know, is he looking for a little bit more security and a little more term, perhaps? Would you go two years? Uh, maybe you can get it down under, you said, $3 million last year. Another year uh, older, yeah, but unrestricted free agency. So, uh, you know, he doesn't seem like the kind of guy that there'd be a massive bidding war. I don't know. I mean, where there is some smoke, I think there could be a little fire, fire here. You know, I saw a lot of pushback. I wrote a quick story at the Hockey News and some of the responses, you know, they point out uh, the allegations against him that, you know, the allegations don't go away, even though the NHL cleared him of any wrongdoing and he played the bulk of last season. But... We know this team needs penalty killers. And so I think on that count alone, I think he led Tampa in overall shorthanded ice time and was second only to Eric Chernak uh, in shorthanded ice time per game. So they were clearly the top pair penalty killers on a team that had Victor Hedman and Mikhail Sergachev. Ian Cole was third on the Lightning, at least in the defense core, in overall ice time last season as well. So he was durable. He played a lot. And uh, still seems like he's got something in the tank. And those ties to the Canucks front office, I, yeah, you just can't discount it. Again, I'm not sitting here saying it's going to happen. But I do think that there are enough breadcrumbs there that it makes sense to follow that story heading to the weekend. Yeah, American-born player, played 748 games in the league. So he's been around the block. He's got 116 playoff games, as you mentioned, with yeah. those cup runs. Uh, with Pittsburgh, but of course they played 14 games with Carolina in the playoffs last year and then with Tampa last year uh, playing those six games there. So he does have a lot of experience. You're absolutely right about that. You do not want to get in. This is the kind of player that you do not get into a bidding war with and you do not throw term at though, right? This is the kind of player to me that if you are interested in this guy, you wait a few days. See what happens around the league because you do not want to get into a bidding war with a 34-year-old defenseman. Uh, and start handing out term. That's just, that's where the Canucks have made mistakes uh, in the past. And we're seeing now teams that 
are trying to get rid of their mistakes. I don't know if Kevin Hayes would be considered that by Pittsburgh, but or excuse me, Philadelphia, but Philly's looking to move out some players. They're trying to do a rebuild right now, and they dumped Kevin Hayes to the St. Louis Blues. Now they're going to eat 50% of his salary, but they only got a sixth rounder back. So it got me thinking like, hey, is this the kind of trade the Canucks should be looking at with one of their, you know, sort of expensive wingers? Well, I, I think they have probably looked at these types of deals and... You know, they just they weren't the right fit at the time. But you know, up until they bought out OEL, I think everything had to be on the table there. Now that they've got a little bit of cap space, not as desperate to create cap space, but I still think you know if they can create more and use it effectively, then I would say absolutely. So you know, if we use Connor Garland as as an example, if there was a team that was willing to part with a fifth or a sixth round draft choice to take all of Connor Garland's contract. I think I would do that if I'm the Vancouver Canucks. I mean, it's clear that they don't value. Like, you know, this isn't a debate about Connor Garland, the player, and what he can do for the Vancouver Canucks. It's just pretty clear that this front office and maybe the coaching staff too, uh, he wasn't their guy on the way in. They want to get bigger and stronger and bully people around uh, on the ice. They've been trying to move Connor Garland for a while. I think if there was a team that said, "All right, we don't like what we see in free agency, but we think Connor Garland can come in and be a fifty or sixty point guy for us." You know, it's not a perfect contract, but it's less than $5 million. There's cost certainty. If the Canucks wanted to get out from under the deal in its entirety and the asking price was a mid to late round draft choice, I, I think I would just say, yes, do it. And then, you know, much like the OEL buyout, that's the first shoe to drop. But then what do you do with that, that money to make your team better? So, um, you know, am I expecting that there's going to be a team that steps up and takes all three years of Garland at face value? No, because they've been trying to do that forever. But the idea of a sweetener out the door, I think that's off the table now just because uh, they have created some cap space. They are not in, uh, you know, they're in salary cap peril, but they're not in salary cap purgatory after the buyout. Yeah, and and if a 50% retained, it just wouldn't make sense for the Canucks. At that point, the player is more valuable for you uh, to, you know, don't have to eat any of his contracts. So, yeah, it doesn't really doesn't really you know line up with the Kevin Hayes, but I just sort of looked at that and went, hmm, I wonder if the Canucks would be sniffing around on any of those sort of trades. Were you sniffing around on any uh, Elias Pettersson game worn jerseys? Because they got a, another one got auctioned off this time at forty five hundred dollars. <laughs> People love them. So I, I was like, holy, I know. Well, and I was following the last round where they auctioned off the Road Whites uh, with the alternate captains a on it and that one fetched i think 3700 bucks and then people reached out to me and they said yeah no that's the going rate for collectors but wait till they put the black ones on and sure enough this was the black skate and yeah i mean across the board uh prices went up people can't get enough of that jersey and i imagine in the collecting world uh there's a premium on the black skate as well so uh yeah what was it 4600 bucks for Elias was it forty six? For the... I, I thought it was forty. Regardless, it's a lot of money. That's a lot of money for a game worn jersey. Forty five hundred, just over forty five hundred. Yeah, forty five ninety two. So almost forty six hundred there. And then uh, you know somebody that's in the loop said like if he ever is made captain, that first black one with the captaincy, they figured that was a ten thousand dollar jersey. Uh, how much would you play or pay to play in the uh, Jake Milford annual golf tournament? Yeah, not as much as they're looking for. That's, uh, I see that, and they don't have that many spots, so people are buying, but 1500 ahead to get in for a round of golf in September at Northlands. 
obviously a terrific golf course, and this has been a tradition that Canucks sort of, you know, kick off training camp with uh, the Jake Milford, longtime general manager of the Vancouver Canucks, and the alumni is all part of it, and they have a big dinner afterward. I mean, they do it upright. I've been around the tournament. I've never played in it, but 1500 bucks per player to buy your way in, you know, if I knew I was spending the day on the golf course with uh, Elias Pettersson or Quinn Hughes or Thatcher Demko, yeah, maybe, uh, and not me personally, I'm not writing that check, but maybe to some, but, you know, there's a bottom of the lineup. There are, you know, guys on the coaching staff, all good dudes, but, you know, if you're paying that same 1500 bucks, how do you know that uh, you're not going to get, uh, you know, towards the back of the bus in terms of your playing partner for the day? So um, I'm glad that there are people out there It supports charities and the world, you know, needs those type of people that are willing to pony up and, and make contributions like that. But uh, yeah, 1500 bucks for a round of golf uh, ultimately is what it is. A round of golf and dinner. I'm sure there's nice tea gifts and things out on the golf course, but uh, yeah, 1500 bucks. If you want in, you can find the registration. It's uh, on the Canuck website, or at least on, uh, it was on Canuck's Twitter uh, was where I saw it. So there you go. Fill out that field. Well, maybe you don't have $1,500 to spend on a golf tournament, but maybe you got it to spend on a new car. You should check them out at the Applewood Auto Group, the now new official auto group partner of Rinkwide Vancouver. The BC Lions are back in the playoffs and hosting the Calgary Stampeders on Saturday, November 4th at BC Place, kickoff at 3.30 p.m. Looking forward to this one, playoff football, BC Place, the Lions and that offense with Vernon Adams at the controls and all of those weapons he has in his receiving core. And you just think about the atmosphere in that building with the fans behind them, the Dome will be rocking, should be a ton of fun. Tickets on sale now at bclions.com and check this out. They start at just 30 bucks. And kids 17 and under can get in for 15. So bring the noise, fill the dome. Freakwide Vancouver is presented by Bodog Sports Odds, Poker Tips, and Free Casino Games. It's time to play. So, yeah, let's dig into some Bodog Odds. And of course, I'm looking at the NHL draft now. They got some new prop bets that just popped up, J Pat. Top 10 pick. And I got a bunch of names listed here. The local boy, Zach Benson, at minus 400 now. So I know some people were wondering whether he was going to make it into the top 10. Well, the people that are putting their money down right now believe that Zach Benson will be a top 10 pick at minus 400. But some of the names that the Canucks are looking at, and of course they're sitting at 11, are on this list right now. Tom Mulander at plus 125 to be picked in the top 10. Axel Sandin Pelika at plus 200. Dmitry Shimashev at plus 175. So, you know, those are three names that Canuck fans are sort of circling right now. We'll see if they fall into the top 10. If you believe they're going to, if you like some of the odds there, some pretty good odds there on Axel Sandin Pelika at plus 200 to get in the top 10, head over to Bodog and place your bet. Out of those three names right there, between Willander, Shimashev, Pelika. Which one of them falls out of the top 10, do you think? Oh, um, I, I think it's quite likely that all three of them are available for, for the Canucks. Uh, my gut, just again, it goes back to the Combine where they had Willander out to dinner. Uh, they've been linked to him now. I don't know. It just And I can be completely wrong in this. Uh, and, and I need to see what happens, you know, in the 10 picks before them. But I just, as I sit here the day before the draft, I keep coming back to Willander. Right shot defenseman. 
you know, obviously a, a point of need for this organization. Not that Sandy and Pelica wouldn't fit in the bill as well, but I don't know. For some reason, I just kind of feel like there's a link there uh, that will be made official when, I guess, Patrick Aline gets to the podium, makes the, maybe Todd Harvey makes the call, the director of scouting, who knows uh, who will be at the microphone. Uh, whatever the case, I hope it goes a little better than it did for Stan Smeal with Vasily Pod Colson back in 2019. Yeah, some of those names for old steamer there. I don't know if you want Shimashev uh, this time around. <laughs> We'll have to see. Maybe that'll be the tell as they get uh, from the table and they're walking up and Stan will be shaking his head. <laughs> He's nervous. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll see because draft yep. day is going to be upon us tomorrow. And of course, we'll be here with you uh, to cover it all. All right. This has been another edition of the Rinkwide Vancouver podcast presented by Bodog for Jeff Patterson. I'm Andrew Wadden. Remember, Rinkwide is the show. Oh,